You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is For Such a Time as This, Episode 3, with Daniel Pell. Good morning. Our next presentation is entitled For Such a Time as This, and this is also our overall theme for this series that we're conducting here for such a time as this, and I really look forward to this message. Before we get into it, I would like to have a word of prayer, and I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can come before you this morning. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us as we open your word. We pray that you will speak to us on a very personal level this morning, that you will allow your word to penetrate into our hearts and into our minds, and that you will show us why we are here and what we are to do, Lord, in your service. And we thank you that you have promised your Holy Spirit to lead us into your truth, and we claim that promise this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple of months ago, in the beginning of this year, I was traveling to New Zealand, which is, uh, in a way, my home country. I was born there, even though most of my family now lives in Holland. Um, New Zealand definitely has a place in my heart. And I was traveling there because I was invited to conduct a prophecy series of meetings. And um, as we were traveling on the 21st of February, um, something happened that very next day on the 22nd of February, just before we arrived in New Zealand. As a matter of fact, while we were in the air, we, um, we arrived um, in, uh, in Australia and we heard about the earthquake that had happened in New Zealand just as we were traveling. Many of you will remember the news of the devastating earthquake in the city of Christchurch um, some months ago in New Zealand. Uh, it was really a tragic moment for the city as many hundreds um, lost, uh, lost their lives. People lost their homes um, and their belongings and uh, everything was just devastated. And I remember arriving in the first, um, with the first airplane after the, air, uh, after the uh, airport had been opened up again. And as we landed, uh, some people in the plane were crying because they knew they were going back. They'd been on vacation to Australia and they knew that they were coming back to, uh, to uh, destroyed homes. And uh, we were going to do a prophecy seminar and uh, of course everything changed. We ended up having to wait for two weeks because the location that we uh, wanted to conduct the meetings was not available uh, due to the earthquake. But after two weeks, we were able to uh, put on the meetings. And I remember people coming uh, with questions in their minds regarding uh, God and, and, and why this had happened, the earthquake, and what, the time, what kind of times are we living in? Uh, is there any explanation for this? And uh, literally hundreds of people came to those meetings. And uh, we just praise God for the opportunity to reach out to the city um, at that specific time, and we, we, we knew um, that God had led us there for that very moment. It's like, as we prayed about the situation, we just sensed that God had led us there for that specific time. And our overall theme for this series is for such a time as this, and I believe through these studies and these, and these um, presentations, what I pray will happen is that each of us will come to see that we are here for such a time as this and that God leads us 
in specific places at specific times to be able to minister for him. And that when we understand our purpose and plan in this life, it will give so much meaning. It will give us a solid foundation in our spiritual journey. Uh, this morning, I would like to, do, to have a study with you um, on this very topic for such a time as this. And we want to approach this study from the book of Daniel, where we're going to start. We're not just going to remain there, but that's going to be our starting point this morning. I invite you to turn to Daniel, the prophetic book of Daniel in the Old Testament, and chapter 2. And we're going to move our way to different passages as we explore the topic for such a time as this. Many of you will be familiar with this, this phrase. It's actually taken from the story of Esther, and we'll, we'll, we'll get there eventually too in our study this morning. But let's begin in Daniel chapter 2. And many of you are familiar with the prophecy of Daniel chapter 2. It is dealing with the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, of the statue um, that reveals the various kingdoms that would come and fall after his, after the kingdom of Babylon, leading us from the days of Babylon all the way till the end of time or till the second coming of Jesus. It's a powerful prophecy. We don't have time to study that in depth right now, but what I want you to see in Daniel chapter 2 is verse 16, the request of Daniel the prophet as King Nebuchadnezzar um, asks for the interpretation of the dream and the interpretation of that which he had experienced during that night. He could not completely remember it and he wanted to know what it meant and, and, and so he calls his wise men together and they cannot give the interpretation and so a death degree is passed and Daniel is being one of the wise men. His life is now in danger. But take notice what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 16. The prophet asks for time. In verse 16 it says, So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then verse 19 says, Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So the story of, 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 of Daniel chapter 2 is an amazing story. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, cannot remember the dream, asks his wise men to give the interpretation. They cannot. He passes a death degree. The death degree also falls on Daniel as being one of those wise men. And he asks the king for time. He asks the king for an amount of time to be able to seek the Lord in order for to come with the explanation of this dream. And the rest of the story is incredible as you read that indeed the dream is made known to Daniel and he comes with the interpretation and explains about this, this image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamt of and the kingdoms that would come and fall after Babylon right down to the end of time. Now, in verse 16, when Daniel asks for time, that word for time there is the word idan. And that word reoccurs a couple of times in the book of Daniel. It's interesting, as you drop down to verse 20, right after the dream and the interpretation has been known to the prophet, he praises the God of heaven, and we read there in verse 20 the following. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, 
and he changes the times and the seasons. That word for times there is also the word, the Hebrew word idan, and seasons is the Hebrew word zeman. And so yeah, this phrase, idan and zeman, is, is, um, we find it also in another place, which we're going to go to in a moment. Daniel makes it very clear in this passage that times and seasons are in the authority not of man but in the authority of God as a matter of fact he says God is the one that changes the times and the seasons he's a go he goes on to say in verse 21 he referring to God removes kings and raises up kings he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding he reveals deep and secret things he knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him so as the prophet Daniel is attributing to God these characteristics, one of the characteristics that he attributes to God is that God is in full control of time. He's in full control of time. In other words, he is sovereign um, over time. He is above all earthly power. And as it talks about, the dream talks about kingdoms coming and falling. We know that God is foreseeing these events and making them known to Nebuchadnezzar and making them known to his prophet, Daniel. And this very word, idan, the word for times, we also find in chapter 7 of the book of Daniel. And if you turn there with me to Daniel chapter 7, take notice of here another prophetic chapter in this book, which is really a parallel chapter to Daniel chapter 2. For those of you that have studied the book of Daniel, you will know that in Daniel chapter 2, we have this dream of Nebuchadnezzar revealing the kingdoms that would come and fall. In Daniel chapter 7, there's another dream, this time not by the king of Babylon, but by Daniel himself. And there he dreams about beasts coming up out of the sea. And each of these beasts also are representing kingdoms, the same kingdoms that we learn about in Daniel chapter 2. And now not represented by metals in an image, but represented by beasts that come up out of the sea. Now, as Daniel looks in this night vision and he sees these beasts coming up out of the sea, he sees a beast, a, a lion with wings. You can read about it in Daniel chapter 7. Then he sees a bear that is raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth. Then he sees uh, a leopard has four wings and four heads. Uh, then he sees this ferocious beast that cannot even be likened unto anything um, in the animal kingdom. And that fourth beast that is ferocious, monster-like, it has ten horns on its head. And then in Daniel 7, you read about a little horn coming up amongst those ten. And I want you to take notice of what this little horn attempts to do in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25. Look at verse 25. He, referring to this little horn, shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change, change what? Times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. It's, it's dealing also here with time. This little horn power, which many Bible scholars and uh, actually uh, most of the reformers uh, have identified as the papacy, the Roman Catholic Church coming up here in Bible prophecy, the Antichrist of Bible prophecy, uh, this, this power, this system uh, revealed here as the little horn, according to verse 25, will intend to change times. 
It's the same word that is used there, the Hebrew word idam, the same word that is used in Daniel chapter 2. Now, according to Daniel chapter 2, the prophet Daniel, he ascribes this characteristic to God that God is an authority over times and seasons. God changes times and seasons. In Daniel chapter 7, we have an earthly power that is trying to take that which belongs to God and is trying to take out of the hands of God that which belongs to him and that being time. Now, when you look at this prophecy here in Daniel chapter 7 about this antichrist power, this little horn power that intends to change times and laws, when you look into history and you look at what the, what the papal power did is they changed the very commandment of God that dealt with time. The fourth commandment in God's commandments, Ten Commandments, is dealing with the Sabbath, sacred time, which belongs to God, which is given as a blessing to man, which we can trace back all the way to creation. Uh, this was changed by this earthly system, by this earthly power. And so he attempted to change times. You know, and we can look at that and we can see the Antichrist doing that and we can think to ourselves, well, that, that, that's something that the Antichrist does, but God's people would never try to take away that which belongs to God. God's people would never try to alter or change times that belong to him. Well, there's another passage in scripture that reveals that even God's people can find themselves um, in the, in, at times trying to take away that which only belongs to God, and that is the control of times and seasons. As a matter of fact, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1. Turn to the book of Acts chapter 1 as we continue our study here this morning for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Acts chapter 1. And we come here to the moment that the disciples are gathered together with Jesus and Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. This is the last conversation that the disciples have with their master, with their very best friend. They are gathered there on the mountain and take notice of this conversation beginning in verse 4. Acts chapter 1 beginning in verse 4. And the Bible says, and being assembled together with them, he, Jesus here, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. That's talking about the Holy Spirit that he had promised. Which he said, you have heard from me, for God truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, verse six, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. The question is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Look at the answer of Jesus in verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put where? In his own authority. Interesting, the same phrase is used here in verse 7, times or seasons. We find that also in Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, the prophet said, times and seasons are in the hands of God. He is the one that changes times and seasons. The Antichrist tried to take that which belonged to God. The Antichrist tried to attempt to change times. And as I said before, well, the Antichrist does that, but would God's people do that? Well, here in Acts chapter 1, we have an example of the very disciples of Jesus attempting to change the times and seasons of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus says to them, go, wait in Jerusalem until you be empowered from on high. In other words, until you receive the Holy Spirit and you will go out and preach. You will go and preach in Jerusalem, in Judea, in the uttermost parts of the, of, of the earth. 
This was the chronology of God. This was the plan of God. And yet the disciples had a different plan. In verse 6, they say to their master, they say to Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now let that question sink into your mind for a moment. What are the disciples really asking here? The disciples are asking Jesus to set up an earthly kingdom. As a matter of fact, when you, when you trace the story throughout the Gospels, you can, you can see that this was always on the mind of the disciples. They thought that Jesus had come to establish an earthly kingdom to overthrow the Roman government and kind of the footnotes to that was that they would sit on the right hand and the left hand when he would become king in great power. And so they believed that, that by being disciples of Jesus, by be follow, being followers of Jesus, they would one time see, very soon they hoped, they would see Jesus ascend to kingship and that he would redeem the people and establish an earthly kingdom. Now, it happened very different. The story uh, took, an, took a turn that they had never expected and Jesus was crucified. Even after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, now just prior to the ascension of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, the disciples have still different expectations towards Jesus than the purpose and the plan that Jesus had for them and for the cause of God to be spread, to the message of God to be spread. And so they, they say to Jesus, they say to their, to their master, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus responds in verse 7 and said, It is not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority. In other words, you, you, you are not going to decide regarding these things. As a matter of fact, God has already a plan stipulated. And verse 8, here Jesus reveals the plan that he had for the disciples. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the plan of God. And the disciples, they had, they had, they had come to this moment that they either had to carry out their own times and seasons, their own plans, or they had to surrender those plans and step into the times and seasons that God had prepared for them. The word times and seasons here, the phrase time and seasons is of course the Greek here in the New Testament. It is the word kairos and chronos. And it's interesting because in English we derive the word chronology from the word chronos. Seasons, times and seasons. Isn't it interesting that well, chronology deals with time, but more specifically it is time in a, in a specific order of events. And Jesus had a chronology for the disciples to step into, to experience. And that was that they would go to Jerusalem, they would wait in Jerusalem, they would be uh, given the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they would go out, preach in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the earth. This is the chronology of God. What's the chronology of the disciples? Jesus, will you, will you establish a kingdom now? an earthly kingdom. You see how the chronology or the plans of the disciples collided with the plans of God, the plans of Christ. And so one has to submit to the other. And praise God, the disciples submitted to the plan of God. They surrendered to the plan of God. And they went back to Jerusalem. And during that waiting time in Jerusalem, they really became one. It's powerful because before that time, they were asking the question, who is going to be the greatest? As they come back to Jerusalem, they humble themselves and they surrender their lives to 
the cause. They surrender their lives to God. They give their hearts to each, not only to God, but to each other. They ask forgiveness of one another. They become one. There's this, this period of, of the Spirit working amongst them. And then in, in, when the fullness of time has come, when, when, when uh, they are of one accord, Acts chapter 2 uh, tells us that the Holy Spirit was poured out and they went forth preaching first in Jerusalem, then in Samaria and, or, and Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth. The plan of God was established in their lives because they were willing to surrender to God's times and seasons. It's very easy for God's people today to make the same mistake as the early disciples. It's very easy for you and for me to have our times and seasons all planned out. It's very easy to try to take authority of that which only ultimately belongs to God. It's very easy to say, okay, this is going to happen and that's going to happen and then this is going to happen and we have this entire picture planned out and then God says, hey, wait a minute, there's a different plan. There's a different plan. And then the question comes as to the disciples, which plan are we going to commit ourselves to? Maybe some of you have experienced that you have a plan for your life and then you, and then you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit through reading his word that God has a different plan for you. And then you come to a moment where, one, where, where your own plans have to surrender to the plan of God. It's a hard process. It, sometimes it hurts. It's, it's the cutting in the heart, but it's the shaping of the heart that ultimately will lead to our salvation, to the experience of the power and glory of God in our lives. And when we can have that experience like the early disciples, when we can give our hearts to him and become one with him, we will step into something that God has ordained for us and prepared for us even before we were born. When we think about this phrase, for such a time as this, God has a very specific purpose and plan for each of us that are living at this very day and age. God has a time and a season for us to step into and to experience. And when we surrender our own plans to him, he will take our lives and will reveal to us that plan that he has for us. And you know, if Jesus had done that prior to, to this moment, uh, we don't know what the Gospels would have looked like. We don't know what the story of Acts would have looked like. The disciples had a lot to learn. They had a lot to unlearn. There were experiences in the life of the disciples that had to be molded and, 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 and formed and created and fashioned by God himself in order to make them uh, disciples that could go out with great power to witness for him. There were things that had to happen in their lives for them to fully step into God's times and seasons. You might remember some of the, some of the instances of what happened there uh, during uh, Jesus' ministry. At one point of time, Jesus sends his disciples into the, city, uh, into the cities of Samaria to go before him and to prepare the way for him. And they go into those cities and they reject the coming of Jesus. They don't want him to be there. And so the disciples come back and they report to, to, to uh, their rabbi, to their master, what has happened. And then they add to that, they say, shall we call fire to come down from heaven to destroy them? That was the spirit of the disciples. At times, it was a spirit that was so contrary to the spirit of Jesus. There was so much that they had to learn, so much that they had to experience in order for them to be a blessing. And yet God was at work with them 
And during those days that they spent there in the upper room in Jerusalem, God poured out his spirit and united them together. And they synchronized and became one. They were of one accord and the Holy Spirit is poured out and they stepped into God's time and season for them. And we know the rest of the story. You, you read the book of Acts and conversion after conversion after conversion, powerful preaching, miracles. Um, the power of the Spirit was manifested in the early church. And so you read about these powerful moments, but it was only possible, it, was only, uh, it only happened because the disciples were willing to surrender their plans to God's. They were willing to uh, lay aside their own times and seasons, their own chronology, and to step into God's times and seasons, to step into the chronology of God. Now, as we further explore this topic, I invite you to turn from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 17. Turn to Acts chapter 17. And here we read about Paul coming to the city of Athens. And he preaches this powerful message in that city. And he also talks about time. And he attributes it again to God that is in control of all times and seasons. Take notice what Paul says to the people in the city of Athens. And let's pick it up in verse 24. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 24. It says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. And that was something very revolutionary to say in the city of Athens where they had a multiplicity of temples and idols dedicated to all their gods and goddesses. And then he says that this God that he is speaking of, the creator God, does not dwell in temple made with hands. Verse 25, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Verse 26, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Now let that, let that sink in for a moment. God has pre-appointed their times and the boundaries of their dwellings. In other words, God determines when we are born and where we are born when we exist and where we exist. It is all in God's hands, in his sovereign hands, for a specific reason. And what's that specific reason? Well, if you go to the next verse, verse 27, it says, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So as, as Paul is, is ministering to the people in Athens, he's telling them that God is in control of times and seasons. He has pre-appointed times in the, dwelling, the boundaries of their dwellings. And he's done that with a specific purpose. And that purpose is that they will, they will grope after him. They will seek after him and find him. Now, when you think about your own life and you, and you trace back, you know, your own story, I think each of one of us can see how that God has had a play. It's, it's almost like we can, we can see the fingerprints of God in our life. You know, if you think about where you were born and when you were born and your upbringing, uh, you might at moments think that, you know, odds were against you. But ultimately, when you have the experience of, of, of entering into that relationship with God, you can look back and you can see how those events and moments in your life actually led you to that moment of experiencing God. 
led you to that moment of, of accepting God into your heart and into your life. Many times the most darkest moments were actually moments that were turned to good as through that you, 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 you sought after God and he was not far away from you. It's like Paul says to the people in Athens, he says, he is not far from each one of us. It uses the word grope, that they might grope for him. That means like searching in the dark. And many times in the most darkest moments of our experience is the times that we search most for him and we will find him. That's the promise. He is not far from each one of us. Many times we, we picture God as the God in the corner of the universe that now and then uh, intervenes in our life. And we don't consider that he is that God that is only a breath away, that is so close to us, that is all around us, and that wants to enter into our experience. This is the God that the Bible uh, teaches. This is the, bi this is the biblical God put on display in the scriptures, a God that is so close to us that if we just feel after him, if we just grope for him, that we will find him. And God is in authority, has the authority over times and seasons. He has pre-appointed our times and the boundaries of our dwellings. The very place where you were born, the very time where you were born, it was all in the hands of God. And it was for one reason, and that was that you would grope for him, that you would find him. And we are born in different places. I was born in New Zealand. Some of you are born here in Canada or other countries. We are born at different times. I was born in 1980. Others of you were born before that or after that. We are all born in different times and different places. But ultimately, if we take these words serious here in Acts chapter 17, God, it was all in God's sovereignty and his sovereign plan. And he had a plan for us to find him, to experience him. He found us, but we were aware of, of, of that invitation that he gave in our lives and we entered into that, into that experience with him. You know, you can trace your life and you can see the fingerprints of God Almighty. And when you see those fingerprints, it's an inspiration to live for him. It's an inspiration to understand that we are indeed here for such a time as this. You'll remember the story of Esther. The story of Esther, she was a young Jewish girl, and through divine uh, providence, uh, she was led to become the queen in, uh, in Persia at a time that her people needed her most. Her uncle Mordecai uh, helped her to come into that position as being the queen of Persia. And it was at a time that her people uh, were under threat. As a matter of fact, there was um, in the story that the, the person, uh, Haman, he passed a degree, um, made the king pass a degree that all Jews would be put to death on a certain day. And then God intervenes through Esther. He intervenes in the story through Esther and delivers his people. And Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, says to Esther those very words, who knows if you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this, for such a time as this. Maybe you are here just for such a time as this. Now, God is not a respecter of people. And I believe that just like in the story of Esther, God providentially brought her to the position of being a queen over Persia so that she could intervene for her people. So I believe that you and me are here in this world today for such a time as this. I believe that we are here for a specific purpose and a plan that God has foreseen even before we were born. Think about it. According to the book of Daniel, God is in control of times and seasons. According to the book of Acts, the disciples tried to take that out of the hands of God, but ultimately they surrendered to the plan of God and 
The rest of the book of Acts is the result. Thousands upon thousands were won through their ministry. We come to the very same moment as the disciples came to in the end of time. We are now on the very verge of eternity. And the question again is, will we take times and seasons into our own hands? Will we determine what our chronology is going to be like? Or will we surrender to the chronology of God and step into the times and seasons that God has foreordained for us? Will we take the words of Acts 17 seriously that God says that he has pre-appointed our times and the boundaries of our dwellings? In other words, God allowed you to be born and allowed you to exist in this very nation, in this very country, at this specific time for a purpose and a plan that he had from eternity. Many of us think, well, can I really believe that? Is that really true? Has God really, has he really foreseen all of that? One of the names of God in the Bible is Elohim. Elohim is, it actually refers to God as the timeless God. Now, that means that God can exist in the past, in the present, and in the future, uh, and if he desires at the same time. Now, that's something that we cannot grasp, and if you think too much about it, it kind of drives you crazy, so you shouldn't do that. But God is ultimately beyond time. He's not limited like us to time. That's why we have prophecy, because he can live in the future and knows what is coming and can reveal that to his prophets. God is the timeless God, the Elohim God. And he has seen it fit for you and for me to be born into this world for such a time as this. We look at the prophecies in God's word. We see that we are living at the very end of earth's history. There are prophecy after prophecy after prophecy in the books of Daniel and Revelation that reveal to us as a people that we are living in the times just prior to the second coming of Jesus. And there are some very fundamental questions that we have to ask as those revelations are given to us through his word. Those are questions like, why am I here at such a time as this? Why have I been exposed to the message of prophecy at such a time as this? God has a plan for you and for me to engage into this final work, to engage into this call to be a light unto those around us. You know, as I look at my own story, I was born in New Zealand and grew up there. And um, as a family, we moved to Holland when I was only uh, 10 years old. And my parents are Dutch, as I mentioned earlier. And as we came back to Holland, um, you know, I lived my own life. In my teenage years, I had my own plan. I had my own career, stipple, uh, you know, planned out. I, I knew where I was going. I knew what I wanted to do. And then I encountered God's plan for my life. And I remember so well that I felt such a, such a draw in me to, to go to a Bible school that I'd heard about. And I, and I resisted at, at, at first. And I, and I thought, no, that's, you know, it's, it's not a recognized school. And I don't know if, you know if this is really the future that I want. And, uh, and I remember struggling. And um, eventually, I came to the point that I knew that God had a plan and that God wanted me to go there. And so I surrendered to that plan. And out of that, I can look back and I can trace God's fingerprints in my own life, in my own experience. I remember going to, going to Sweden where this Bible school was. And the very first day of classes that we had there in Sweden was um, the 11th of September, 2001. That was my first class in this Bible school in Sweden. Now, uh, how many of you know what happened on September 11, 2001? Um, I was in Sweden studying the Bible the first day there. That was the very day, of course, we know what happened. It was the terrorist attack in New York in the United States. And really that date, that day changed the whole 
you know, changed the world in many ways. And um, I remember hearing about what had happened, the terror attack in the United States, and uh, I just thought to myself, I'm in the right place at the right time. I believe that there's a message that needs to be going to the world. It's a, it's a message of prophecy. It's a message of invitation to accept the grace of God as it is still extended to the world at this time. And I knew at that very moment that I was in the right place at the right time. Um, I also, in this very same school, I met my wife, Sylvia. I again knew I was at the right place at the right time. And God leads in those ways, amen? He leads us step by step by step and shows us. And you can look back. I'm sure you can look back in your Christian experience and you can see the fingerprints of God for such a time as this. Some people ask me as I travel to different countries and minister, some people will ask me, how do I know that, that God is calling me? How do I know that, that God wants to use me? And, you know, that doesn't mean that he uses each one of us uh, in full-time ministry, but God for sure wants to use every one of us wherever we are in whatever capacity to reach out to those around us. And people ask me, well, how do I know? Well, my answer is very simple. If you have been exposed to truth, and you're living at this very hour of earth's history, for me, that's a guarantee that God wants to use you. Think about the percentage of people that have been exposed to Bible prophecy, that understand the times in which we are living, and have a message of hope to bring to others, and are living at this very, in these very last days of earth's history. It's such a small percentage that I know by, I just know with, with all my heart, that that is a calling in itself. God has placed you and I here for such a time as this. He has exposed you to truth so that you can take that truth into your heart and that you can share it with those around you. That you can be like Queen Esther in the court of the king. You can be a protector for God's, she was a protector for God's people, a, a, a watch a person on the, on the, on the walls a watch of the watchtower. It's like uh, it says in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was placed on as a watchman upon the towers of Israel. For that specific time, he had a purpose. Esther had a purpose in her days. You and I have a purpose in our days. We are here at the end of time, and God is calling you and me to step into God's times and seasons, to step into what he has foreordained for each one of us. There's a story of a prophet in the Old Testament that illustrates this so well. I invite you to turn to the book of Jeremiah. Take a look at the prophet Jeremiah and the calling that he received from the Lord. It's so incredibly powerful to see the way that God reached out to him and called him into ministry. And I believe it's a, it's a lesson for each one of us. It's a reminder for each one of us and the call that God has on our lives. If you go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1... Take notice of verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now think about that for a moment. Jeremiah here is a young man, probably in his late teens, early 20s, and God is asking him to step into ministry as a prophet. But the way that the Lord approaches, the, approaches this young man is, is, is incredible. He says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. 
God is saying to Jeremiah, I knew you before you were born and I already had a purpose and a plan for your life. And the question is if Jeremiah is going to accept that purpose and plan. Think about it. Jeremiah uh, grew up not knowing about God uh, having this plan for his life. He grew up with probably his own times and seasons set out before him, his own chronology, his own purposes and plans. And then he encounters the call of God. God says to him, I knew you before you were born, and I have a plan for you. Remember, God is Elohim. He's the God that is not bound to time. God saw where the nation of Israel was going. God saw that the nation of Israel needed a prophet. And so in God's mind, Jeremiah already existed before he uh, was born, before he entered into the womb. He existed in the mind of God. God thought about that prophet. God thought about the work that he would do. And then Jeremiah is born and Jeremiah grows up. And as a young man, he now encounters God's plan. And God says, I knew you before you were born and I ordained you a prophet. And Jeremiah steps into the plan of God and glorious are the results as God uses him in a mighty way to, wit to, to be a witness to God's people at that time. And so just like Jeremiah, I believe that God has a plan for you and for me, and that that plan was already made in the heart of God. It already existed in the mind of God before you were born. Can you imagine that? Just think about that for a moment, that God had a plan for your life before you were born. He knew you. Everything that exists first existed in the mind of God. Think back on creation. When God said, let there be light, and there was light, before light actually existed in all its particles, it existed where? In the mind of God. When God said, let there be a sun and a moon and stars, let there be animals, let there be sea creatures and, and, and birds, it all existed first in the mind of God. God saw it in his mind and then he spoke it into existence. And then God says, when it comes to the creation of man, God says, let us make man in our image. And God already saw Adam and Eve and then they were brought into existence by the hands and breath of God. And, you know, that continues throughout creation. Before you existed in physicality, you existed somewhere in the heart and mind of the infinite God. Can you imagine? You existed in the mind of God. And God allowed you to come into existence at this specific time and also in a specific place, according to, Revel according to Acts chapter 17. He stipulated the place and time of your birth and all of these events that have transpired in your life are really leading up to this moment, this encounter with God. It's the encounter where God reveals himself to you and says, will you step into my time and season? Will you step into my plan? Just like God had a plan for Jeremiah, just like God had a plan for the prophet Daniel, just like God had a plan for, for, for Ezekiel and for Queen Esther, so God has a plan for his people in the end of time. The prophecies are fulfilling rapidly before our very eyes. The end of all things is at hand. According to Daniel and Revelation, we are on the verge of eternity and the final events of Bible prophecy are literally happening around us and it is increasing with frequency and intensity even as I am speaking. And God now is waiting for his people to step into his time and season. But many times we find ourselves like the disciples. We have our own time and season planned out. The disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, will you at this time establish your kingdom? 
The plan of Jesus was very different. And Jesus says, no, you go back to Jerusalem. You wait there. You will be imbued from on high. You will preach the word in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The plan of the disciples was so different than the plan that Christ had for them. And yet they were willing to step into the chronology of God. They were willing to step into the plan of God. And the question is if we will do the same. And deep inside our hearts, we know that this is what we are made for. If you turn back to Acts chapter 17 in closing, I want to show you something here. Acts chapter 17, as, as, as Paul is ministering to the people in the city of Athens, take notice of what he says to them in verse 23. In verse 23. He says, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I will proclaim to you. Think about that for a moment. In the city of Athens, they had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of idols. There was an idol for almost everything you could imagine. They would worship all these gods and goddesses. And then there was still this empty spot in their heart. There was still this void, this gap that they could not fill. And so they come to the point that they, they're thinking to themselves, these people in Athens, there must be something else that we don't know about. And so they erect this altar and they put the inscription on that altar to the unknown God because there was something in their heart that was longing for something that they did not have. And so the unknown God, there is something that we don't know about. And Paul, in, this, in, this marvelous, in a marvelous way, he takes this situation and he looks at that idol with the inscription to the unknown God. And he says, that God, I will proclaim to you. I will proclaim to you. And as he teaches about the, that God, there is something that resonates with the people that listen to Paul. Because this is ultimately what we are made for. And when we try to fill that gap that God has placed that only he can fill if we try to fill that with other things it won't last you know as a matter of fact the bible says i love this verse here in uh, ecclesiastes if we can turn there for a moment ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 look at what it says god has carved out in our hearts a spot that only he can fill and in the book of ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 the bible puts it this way it says, he, with capital H, this is God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. God has placed eternity in our hearts. God has placed a longing for himself in us. And that's why when we hear the truth presented, there's something in us that resonates with the word of God because this is what we are made for. This is the, if we don't, if we don't know God, it's, it's like the idol in, in, in the city of Athens. It's to the unknown God. It's this gap, it's this void, it's this place that only God can fill. But once God fills that place, we have an understanding that we are here for a specific purpose. We can step into God's times and seasons for us and i don't know what that means for you in a practical way but god does indeed have a specific plan for each one of us and as we go to him in in in, in prayer as we seek to know his will for our lives he will not let us down he will reveal that to us and we can know from day to day that we are walking in his 
prepared ways and his prepared steps. We can enter into his times and seasons. And then the story of Acts can continue. I like to read the story of Acts about the experience of the early Christians. And the book of Acts has uh, 28 chapters or 26. What was it? 28 chapters, exactly. But I believe that the book of Acts is an unfinished book. I believe that the book of Acts is still being written in heaven because why would God stop start, start writing about the story of his followers after the first century? Now, we have a record here in Scripture of the first church, the first believers, and we have 28 chapters. But I believe, friends, that in heaven there's the full version of the book of Acts and that we can be part of that story that God can write about you and about me and about how we stepped into the times and seasons of God and how he did a work in us that we could not do for ourselves and how that we could put his character on display and be a blessing for him at the very close of earth's history. You are here for such a time as this. And may you receive that call and may you step into the season and time that God has prepared for you. How many of you this morning want to make that decision to step into God's times and seasons? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for your divine call upon our lives. Lord, we are fully aware that we are not here by accident. We are here with a specific purpose. Lord, you have brought us into existence, not just to live our lives aimlessly for our own good, But Lord, we are brought into existence to reflect your glory, to accept you into our lives and to experience what the early church experienced. Father, I pray that we may surrender to you, that our plans may die and that your plans may live, and that you will show us where you want us to be and what you want us to do at such a time as this. Thank you, Father, for revealing your plan to us. And thank you that you that have begun a good work will complete it. And thank you that the book of Acts is still being written and that we can be part of this story. And Lord, we long to see you coming soon and we pray that we may take part in this work of revealing your character to those around us. Thank you for your spirit that strengthens us. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you and that you that have begun a good work will complete it. Thank you, Father. Please be with us the rest of this day and we thank you for all in Jesus' name. Amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.